0: Alrighty, it is tuesday at two o'clock that means it's time to speak with the speaker of the north carolina house tim moore from cleveland county how are you mr speaker hey i'm doing well pete how are you today sir i am uh, doing all right i cannot complain so well actually i do most of the time before you join us uh <laughs> I kind of made a living at it um so uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, these two judges up in wake county and uh, their decision that uh, apparently the Constitution does not require the, uh, the voter ID law, despite the fact that we all voted to change the Constitution to require voter ID.
1: Yeah, absolutely uh, unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, just uh, where, where does this end? <laughs> uh, you know, the voters of this state went uh, overwhelmingly now uh, a few years ago and approved a, an amendment to our state constitution, to require that when someone goes to vote, they submit a form of, of, of ID, photo ID preferably, but if not photo ID, some other reliable forms. Uh, we adopted uh, statutory language to conform to that based on what about 35, I think, Pete other states do already, mm-hmm. language that's been upheld by the US Supreme Court as, as appropriate and legal. And yet two judges, two Democrat judges decide, no, nah, that's not good enough. Declare the law unconstitutional; that it is somehow racist, although it wasn't racist. Although it was, the bill was actually sponsored and supported by a number of African American Democratic legislators, and and it's and completely ignore the will of the majority of voters of this state. It is the it is the height of arrogance uh, for for a couple of judges to do that, and it is it is an absolute complete. Uh, uh, injustice uh to for that that's happened, and so every voter who voted for that ought to be uh ought to be agitated that, that that happened and ought to hold these folks accountable that have done
0: this i so how does this get better because I think what last week we talked about a judge a single judge right that that did a similar kind of a thing uh with the voter uh or the felon voting uh law and so how does this how do we how, how does this get stopped is this just oh well we got to wait for another court to step in and that other court needs to overturn this court because at some point like they're doing damage to the the judiciary but also I would argue to the society at large where like I just speaking for myself like I look at a lot of uh judges now with contempt because of the way that they so abuse uh, the the law in order to advance what seems like partisan agendas.
1: Well, and and that and and therein lies a big part of the problem. I mean, I'd, as well as being the Speaker of the House, I'm also a lawyer. Oh no! And
2: yeah, I know nobody's
1: <laughs> right.
0: Well, hey, I'm so, media. We're in the same boat, really, when yeah, it comes there, to there popular
1: go, right? opinion. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, so it's uh, it's one of those things where. You, you want the courts to be non-political. You want to know that if, if, if somebody has an issue, whether somebody's in trouble with the law, whether somebody's suing over a contract, whatever it is, you want that person in the black robe to make a decision based on what the law is and on what's right, not interjecting their partisan politics, not saying, oh, well, because this is going to benefit maybe you know because this might dem- benefit a Republican or Democrat, they might have you know, some theory to just make a decision. That's just wrong, and it undermines the the integrity of our nation. I mean, it's the thing that that separates a nation like the united states of, of America from some of these these other countries that that are, you know where when, for example, when one political party loses power and you know, people get thrown in prison and all this, you know, it separates us from those kinds of countries. And when courts play politics, it does a huge amount of damage to to the fabric of our nation because then people start questioning you know, are, are the courts being fairly, uh, are they operating fairly? And that's what's happened here. I mean, you basically have judges making a political decision where they feel like that somehow voter ID is not helpful for, for Democrats, so they're going to strike it down and call it racist. It's absolutely ridiculous. And you, but you know who really ought to be offended though, Pete? Are all those voters who went out and voted for this amendment to the Constitution these two judges have been like, yeah, I know that, you know, 10 million people were here and went and voted, but we, we know better than,
0: um, you
1: know, but but we know better than all you guys.
0: I mean, it's ridiculous. So um, from, uh, I guess, from an, uh, from an elective, uh, elected official standpoint, um, do these judges suffer any ramifications or are they appointments? These are Wake County Superior Court judges. I assume they stand for election, but I also assume... They're not going to be voted out because they're in Wake County.
1: Well, these judges, of course, do stand for election in that in that county, um, and, and there. And I, I think once, uh, I think actually, I believe one of them is not well. Two of them are not Wake County. The one one Republican who wrote a dissent and pointed out the fallacy of the majority's findings. Uh, but then there are um, uh, there are other. There's another judge, I think, from maybe Winston Salem, oh. and then there's a judge, I believe, from Raleigh, in there. I, I, I don't want to misstate that, but that's yeah, that's where that stands. But yeah, there's no, it's it, and there's other stuff going on with the courts that are that are that are equally as concerning. So, but you know what, we that that's where that's where the voters need to remember this and hold them accountable. And at the end of the day, the judges who are doing this are, in fact, Democrats. Well, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know. Just paint with a broad brush, but that's the reality. That that's what you have happened.
0: Well, and that I think that's important to note because when Republicans uh, put the D's and the R's back onto the ballot, they were accused by Democrats of trying to politicize the judiciary, which of course is absurd. Uh, it putting letting voters know the heuristic of you know what party affiliation a judge is doesn't politicize the judge right the decisions can politicize (laughs) the decisions uh and so here you've got the judges acting in the very way that the democrats were accusing republicans of of behaving and uh it is a heuristic so yeah like if i see a d next to a judge's name i'm gonna have a pretty good idea and i think you just kind of alluded to the other um the other story that we talked about a couple days ago uh on the show was the recusal argument that the supreme court justices want to recuse these. Uh, to Republicans off of cases to make it easier for them to strike some uh, some laws down. I do find it interesting, ironic as well, that this law, right, or this uh, lawsuit was brought by the Southern Coalition for Social Justice, who has a Supreme Court judge who used to be their (laughs) their founder. Uh, Will she recuse herself? Yeah, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I, I somehow I doubt it. But but and of course, they're trying to force those Republican judges to recuse themselves which by the way has that no one can ever find has ever happened i mean they, certainly there you know judges can recuse themselves but for uh, but for a number of the judges to try to force it forcibly uh require the judges to recuse themselves this is uh, uh th- this is new territory this is something that should not be happening but just to be very plain i mean it is in fact democratic judges who are doing this kind of thing so they are in fact they are in fact unfortunately politicizing the court and and they've been doing this now for a while and continue to do so and it's just it's just not right. Yeah. It's just I don't know how else to say it it's not right.
0: Um any uh any appetite for I mean I don't know what the remedy could be. I mean is this like uh impeachment of judges territories a censure uh, censure or something? Like it, what recourse is there besides vote, trying to vote them out?
1: Well, there there are there are other there are certainly recourses the legislative branch has. Uh, that that would probably just not be appropriate to discuss right now, but uh, there are certainly there are certainly things the legislative branch could do, uh, but it would require in many cases supermajorities to do so. But mm-hmm. you know, my my hope simply is this that that and, and maybe it's a naive and a foolish hope, but I hope that when this makes it to the state supreme court, that on something like this, I, I hope the court will not be so politically partisan, and we'll do the right thing, and we'll, and we'll acknowledge that the language of this bill on voter ID is something that has been held verbatim as constitutional by the United States Supreme Court. It's been upheld. We are not plowing any new ground here. Roughly 35, 36 states have this already. By the way, some of which are controlled by Democrats. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it's just, and so it doesn't mean you put this in and all of a sudden you know Republicans start winning the election. Yeah. That's not the case. Uh, and so it's it's just something to add a layer of election integrity. And and what have we been hearing a lot? We keep hearing calls for elections integrity. People are worried about the process. Why in the world, when we know people have you know, are worried and concerned about it? you know, would, would folks want to get rid of some basic safeguards, like showing an ID that you're who you say you are and and bear in mind too, Pete, we also in this state, if if somebody doesn't have an ID, you know, we'll give them one for free. They you. They don't even have to pay for it. And if for some reason they still don't have one, we actually have have written it where we can take other forms of non-photo ID that, that have high degrees of reliability, like a, like a power bill or something. I mean, so it's, it's, it's just a minimal thing. It's just an absolutely minimal thing to 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 ensure that the person going to vote is who they are and, and I don't want to talk about it I don't want to talk about it too much, you' know, take up too much time. but remember this too: The environment that folks vote now is you have early voting that goes what two to three weeks before the election, you don't even have to vote in your home precinct. so if someone's in Charlotte, let's say someone lives down in Pineville, you know they they could go vote uh, up in Huntersville if they wanted to. During the early voting process, and so if someone goes in and claims to, you know, claims to be, you know, John Doe from, you know, Smith Street, and in, in, uh, in Pineville, the chances are the person in Hunterville is not um, is not going to know that that's not who the person is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all those ways, just with normal voting, that would try to catch fraudulent on acts, those are gone because so much early voting, and you can vote anywhere. So this is just one layer of minor. Uh, a protection in place to ensure the integrity of the process. So we'll see what these Democrats do when it gets to the state supreme court.
0: Speaker of the House Tim Moore, we're out of time. Thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Uh, any prediction on the Panther game Thursday night?
1: Panthers are going to win again. They had a great game this weekend. Enjoyed being there. It was great to see a uh, great to see a strong win. And uh, hey, they're they off to a
0: great start. All right, we'll see how he how his prediction fares next week when the speaker returns. I appreciate your time, sir. As always, take care. Take care. All right, that's uh, House Speaker Tim Moore, and this is Boomer Von Cannon with some traffic. A couple of emails here, one from Chris. He actually sent it yesterday, but it was about this topic. I just didn't see it until today. Anyway, the two judges in that voter ID case, they are correct. The law does discriminate. It discriminates against individuals who wish to commit vote fraud, most likely in the favor of the Democratic Party. That's the... Right. Very good, Chris. And (laughs) isn't it kind of ridiculous? This is from Toasty on the Twitter machine. Isn't it kind of ridiculous that judges elected by the people of a specific county can rule on state level issues and impact the entire state? Shouldn't they be elected at the state level in that case? So this is by. Yeah. So this is uh, a function of the way the judiciary is set up in North Carolina. You get uh, several of these Superior Court judges. They. Uh, join a panel of three they will weigh a case and then you know once it gets appealed then it goes to the court of appeals and it'll go to uh the state supreme court and it works its way sort of up the chain right like that's how that that's how it works yeah and so that's why you end up with these yeah local judges that are making these kinds of decisions and it does foster judge shopping and last point on this i will make is uh i mentioned it with the speaker there about the uh the general assembly that went and changed the, uh, the ballots to allow us to see party affiliation for the judicial races. And Democrats at the time, this was only a couple of years ago, Democrats said, how dare you, you're politicizing the judiciary. And it was a completely bogus argument. It was, it was gaslighting. What this is a perfect example of why Democrats don't want the D's and the R's on the ballot, because it's easier to attach the judge to the party and the ideology. They would prefer voters walk into the booth not knowing who the judges are and walking out either not voting for them or relying on a palm card that gets handed to them by some innocuously sounding organization like Judges Matter or something like that. Faircourts.org or something. And they they go out and they happen to just coincidentally Only endorse Democrats. So this way, when a ruling is made, now we know these are all Democrat judges that went this certain way. You can see, it allows us to see the partisanship. It doesn't make it partisan. It lets us see it. It lets us whores, us plebs. It lets us common folks see what they're actually doing and who's on board with certain agendas. And that's the reason why they opposed putting the D's and the R's on the ballot. Um, one other thing on COVID. I have another idea of what Roy Cooper might talk about today at three on his COVID briefing. I'll tell you that in a minute. First, let me bounce over here to Dennis. Uh, Hey Dennis, what's up real quick.
2: Okay. Yeah. I like, I like the survey that you had about the COVID Republicans and Democrats and uh, that percentage. But I would also like to know what's the percentage of the hospitals is the hospital's, Filling up, really filling up, or are they not filling up? If they are, then that's part of the problem, too. You can do the survey, but if you got people dying out here because they can't get surgery and stuff like that, so that's kind of part of it. I wish we, uh, both parties could work together, come up with the best plan. It seems like if we don't get this taken care of, we're going to go back to black and white water fountains. You know, black drink this, white drink yeah. that, but it'll be COVID. If you got covid you go to this restaurant. If you don't have covid you go over here. Kind of like the smoking, you know, you take <laughs> the non-smoking area. And the, I mean, it's getting ridiculous, but yeah. that's just that's just something I wanted to, you know, put out there. I wish they would work together and make this work. It, it's really ridiculous.
0: Yeah, I appreciate the call Dennis. I agree with you. You want to stay tuned because I've got a story right along those very lines that you just mentioned. The vaccinated versus unvaccinated. Would you believe the Black Lives Matter folks are now protesting the vax mandates up in New York? It's true. I've got that story. But also, earlier in the show, I mentioned the hospitalization numbers, so you should pull the podcast from hour number one. It's totally...
1: Kane is in the building.
0: I feel like I'm about to do a sports show. Which I do have... I I do have experience. So here's another one. Uh, I was just telling uh, Ryan... Producer Ryan during the break. Like, for folks who may not be aware, I am Peter O'Donnell as well. I know, right? Like nobody knew. Yeah, because nobody remembers. I mean, for one season, I was uh, I think it was one season. Yeah, one season I was a uh a part of the the Charlotte Hornets radio broadcast team with Bob Licht and uh Oh, Jerry V, but there was also, uh, Steve Martin and Mike Jeminski. Was there somebody I'm trying to remember? No, I think that was, I don't know. Cause there, yeah. So, and I, I would do just scores from around the league, uh, pregame, halftime, postgame. So here's the other thing though. I also did a segment during the pregame for the Panthers when we didn't have the Panthers, okay. <laughs> when they went on timeout, like in a very Hancock kind of way. Um, I did a segment, a very lengthy segment, actually, as part of the pregame uh, sports Sunday shows th- that uh, we put on for the NFL stuff. Um, it was called Pros and Cons. A weekly look at at the rap sheets of everyone that got arrested in the uh, NFL. Why aren't we doing that right now? And it just so happened to coincide with the Ray Carruth capital uh, murder trial that I was also covering at the time. So... I had a lot of material. Did were you were you in a little bit of a pickle? No, what I, what is that? In a pickle? What do you mean? Like you, like you you had to cover the story a certain way, like like did you have to cover it a different way being Peter O'Donnell or, or No, oh, no, no. By that point I was I was I only used the pseudonym for the one season with the Hornets. Oh, okay. <laughs> which was there was a the old programming director that hired me, um Randall Bloomquist. His argument at the time was you're doing because I was only a part timer in the newsroom at this point. This was like ninety nine, two thousand, right, or ninety eight, ninety nine. It was this, yeah. It may have been, yeah, because I think it was the season before Bobby Phils died in the car accident, or maybe it was that. No, it was that season, right? Because I was there when they. That was, I was ni- That was ninety eight, right? I I don't recall. So it was right around ninety eight, ninety nine time frame, um, and so he said, "You're only a part timer in the newsroom." I don't want there to be confusion about what your role is as a reporter versus a sports guy. So you have to come up with a different name. And so I can I just, I chose O'Donnell. And so I went by Peter O'Donnell, but the weird thing was that like the only people who would know that I'm the same person, I'm the same voice. Cause I don't know if you're aware of this, my voice is kind of, it's not a. It's kind of distinctive. It's not a usual kind of radio voice. You are you aware of this? Well, I haven't. I haven't listened to you in other <laughs> ve- <laughs> and, I, and I'm I'm clearly seeing you talk right now. It's right. a little. Bit, if you want, I can go out in my car and listen. Listen to you. in on that way through the processing and all that. <laughs> no, so the 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 only point there is that he said y- you got to do this so people don't get confused as to. You know, your news person or, or sports guy, whatever. But the only people, I thought about this later, the only people that would know me from both of those jobs basically would be the people on WBT, the listeners of BT. Everybody else that's listening down the network in, you know, New Bern or whatever, they're not, <laughs> they don't know Pete Callender on WBT as a part time news guy. They don't know that. So the only people I would be confusing would be the WBT audience. But then I'm confusing them further by giving them a different right. name. <laughs> was there ever a scenario where, like, someone came up to you and they're like, yeah, let's say one of your one of, your, one of the Pete Callender bosses would come up to you and be like, hey, you know, you're not doing it. You know, we, we didn't really like the way you did that. Why don't you do it like that Peter O'Donnell guy? Yeah, ever Peter or? O'Donnell guy. He was all right. No, I would. <laughs> yeah. No, I look back on it now, though, and it probably would have helped me immensely had I done a radio pseudonym. Just because it would cut down on a lot of, like, email load that I get. I get a lot of emails and stuff. So it might cut down on some, it just create confusion. Did you, know? you have an assistant back then that handled both email threats? You are the first person I've ever had that <laughs> gets close to assistant status. Ooh. Felt... And you know what you do for me, which, <laughs> like, you don't answer emails for me. <laughs> well, except for the booking of the guests. That's very, I, I've never done, I've never had a person do that for me before. So I appreciate that. Thank you, uh, programming director. It's always good to thank the PD. So, let me tell, all right, so Dennis called in before the uh, uh before the news and I want to address a couple of things that he had said because he uh, he mentioned the the stats on the COVID and the risk assessment and he appreciated that, but he was also curious about the hospitalization numbers. Um and I agree, Dennis, if you're still listening, I agree. That's the important thing because like and that's the data, that's the metric that I have been uh most concerned about from the beginning because like you could have I mean, think about it. You could have billions of case count numbers, right? There could be billions of cases. But if it's not killing people, then does it really matter, right? It's the, that's like saying, well, you know, every year 100 million people get the common cold. And all right, well, fantastic. It's the common cold. No one cares, right? So you want to know the hospitalization numbers because hospitalizations impact everybody else who may not have COVID-2 in hospital beds, ICU, right? The census in the in the hospital. If they're canceling the non-emergency procedures, you know it's bad, right? And so that's why at the beginning of the show, I went over that data about how we don't necessarily know, and there was research done, and there were some limitations to that research. It was done to VA, so we don't know because they're predominantly male patients. Uh, but about half of all the COVID patients are in with mild or asymptomatic cases. So they're in there with COVID. They're not in there for COVID. So that's about half. And so now the hospitalization number is misleading. Now I have to suspect that number as well. And it's really, really frustrating. And I share Dennis's frustration. People need to get together on this. And you need to make it clear. And you need to stop. If you're in the media and you're in the elected official business or you're in public health, you need to stop the fear-mongering around this stuff. Right? We need honest assessment of the data one number two if you miss the first hour dennis you can get it on the podcast it's very easy you go to wbt.com there's a little link there it says podcast you click on my name it's the one pete calendar spelled k-a-l not o'donnell he's not on there calendar you click on that one and then you can subscribe and then it comes right to your smartphone or tablet every single day you don't even have to do anything it just shows up kind of like me i just show up News Talk 1110-993-WBT. All right, I also mentioned to Dennis, Black Lives Matter's Greater New York Chapter planning to protest Carmine's Restaurant in New York City, the famous Carmine's Restaurant, following reports that a hostess tangled with a group of black women over COVID-19 vaccination cards. So Black Lives Matter is claiming that the city's vaccine passport is racist. Fox News reported that a 24-year-old hostess was assaulted Thursday at Carmine's by, quote, three black female tourists from Texas after the hostess requested to see their COVID-19 vaccine card. Um, The three women were arrested, charged with assault and criminal mischief. Later reports seemed to indicate that the women were seated, but they ended up getting into an argument with the hostess after men who showed up and were supposed to join their party. They would not leave. Uh, and they refused to provide the hostess with their proof of vaccination. An attorney for one of the women claims the hostess used a racial slur and that the pair engaged in mutual combat. <laughs> That's a, that is a direct quote mutual combat. Um, only the women were arrested for assault. Black Lives Matter now says it'll protest not just Carmines for the hostess's alleged behavior in enforcing the city's vaccine mandate, but also that the mandate itself which required diners to have received at least one dose of the vaccine to dine indoors. That it itself is racist. Or at least it provides cover for the racism. Quote, I believe that this New York City vaccine passport will be used to keep black people out of spaces. And if we don't stop it now, then the police will use it as an excuse to harass and arrest our people, said a representative for the Black Lives Matter Greater New York chapter. Carmine's fought back against the claims of racism, telling the media in a statement that all of their hosts are people of color. (laughs) They're all people of color. Oh, no. Darn it. No easily definable bad person in this scenario. Uh, They went on to say that uh, no one involved in the altercation uttered any kind of a slur. Last week's violence against our staff had nothing to do with race, despite a Texas criminal defense lawyer's false assertions to the uh, contrary. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, to Dennis's point, he's talking about the creation, basically, of, you know, a segregated society. It's a caste system, right? The, the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, the lepers, if you will. Now, I also said that I, I was going to bet I had an idea that Governor Roy Cooper, at his 3 o'clock uh, COVID briefing, that he's going to talk about something, Here's what I think he's going to mention. It's big news. The North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services today announced the hiring of Victor Armstrong as the department's first ever Chief Health Equity Officer. Yes, give it up for Victor Armstrong everybody. NCDHHS created the position as well as the Office of Health Equity to lead to uh, to lead its focus To advance health equity, because that's what the health equity office will do, obviously, advance the health equity. And to reduce disparities in opportunity and outcomes for historically marginalized populations. And then it goes on to talk about embedding equity into every aspect of our work, uh, promoting um, an exclusive race-focused workplace. No, I'm kidding. They say it's inclusive. And equitable workplace, but let's be honest—it's going to create an exclusive and uh, race-focused workplace. Um, they talk about health equity because it's the Office of Health Equity. They've got uh, also—he's going to be in charge of the Office of Rural Health as well. In addition to Victor Armstrong's hiring, they're also welcoming a new Assistant Secretary of Equity and Inclusion, former State Senator Angela Bryant. She's going to work hand in hand with Armstrong, which is weird because it seems like if, like, just to maximize your efficiency, if you, like, if you just used both of your hands rather than, like, worked hand in hand with somebody else, like, now you only got two hands between the two of you, right? But if you're not holding hands, then you've each got two hands. They got four hands. You could probably do twice as much. I don't know. We'll see how it works out. But she uh, is a former state senator. But no, no, no. She has some other experience here besides just being an elected Democrat. She co-founded Visions, Inc. It's a nonprofit educational organization that has provided diversity and inclusion services to over 100,000 individuals and in 600 organizations, including healthcare organizations and staff, with the mission to empower the creation of environments where differences are recognized, understood, and appreciated. So you simply have to admire the grift, all right? I mean, you just, you got to sit back and give it its due. The grift here, pretty impressive. Um, by the way, how many people did she, how many people has she cured of the racism? I think that would be a pretty important metric, don't you think? Like, hey, I want to hire you to look at equity and inclusion and make sure that these organizations that we're in charge of, that they're not all racist-y. So, uh, oh, OK, well, you've got some experience. You created this Visions, Inc., this educational organization to do these very kinds of trainings. How many people did you cure of the racism? How many racisty organizations became less racisty? Did you find any of the racism? Give us some of your uh, uh, so, let's see the sizzle reel. That's a, that's a media term, by the way, sizzle reel. It's like the stuff that they show is like, Ooh, look at that. He sizzles, you know, like all of the highlights or a demo tape, if you will. So where's the, where's the proof that this stuff works? Spoiler alert. There isn't any, okay. There's no, (laughs) there's no proof that any of this stuff ever actually works. In fact, the one uh, study out of Harvard that did look at whether or not these inclusion and diversity trainings, whether they work or not, actually showed they they created more of a hostile environment. Yeah, they actually undermine unit cohesion. So I'm curious, like when you're going about doing all of these diversity and inequity uh, and, and equity programs, um, maybe we could have a status report at some point as to whether or not everybody is cool working in the environment that you created. This is why I've said, like, this really is, it, it is like a religion. And these trainings and the companies that undergo them and such, they pay for the indulgences. That's what this is. You're buying an indulgence, right? You get your little certificate. You post it up on your website. You're like, oh, look at us. We went through Ibram X. Kendi's. Anti racism training or Robin DiAngelo's white fragility training. We went through it. Here's our certificate. We're not racist. And you nail it up above your wall or you smear the blood across the door frame, and, and then the woke mob passes you by. That's how it works. I mean, that's how I think it works. Stick around. Brett Winterbill's up next. News Talk 1110 993 WBT. We'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone. Oh, mm-hmm.